You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Inflow with Soul. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and today we're going to get into a juicy topic. And let's introduce this topic with a question. And so as you're listening to this, I would really like you just to, to pause, take a couple of deep breaths, and think about this question, how happy or satisfied do you feel right now? Tune into your body. What do you feel when you even at that question is even posed? Do you feel lightness? Do you feel tightness? Do you feel tension? Maybe in your stomach or in your heart or in your hands. Just tune into your body. How happy or satisfied are you right now? Now, if your response to that isn't, I'm 100% satisfied, then do you have some idea of what that gap is between where you are now, your level of satisfaction, and your ultimate level of satisfaction? What's that gap? Do you know what you want in that gap? Most of us don't. And so if you don't know what you want, uh, uh, and you don't, certainly maybe you don't even know how, even if you did know what you want, maybe you don't know how you would get it. And so you just decide not to want it anyway, because it's easier not to want it than to want it and then not be able to get it, right? So our conversation today is going to start moving us towards how do we create a life of satisfaction and, and what what even is a life of satisfaction? You've probably heard of Abraham Maslow's and the hierarchy of needs. Um, you may not have heard of William Glasser. He was also a needs theory um, psychologist that taught that um, it, both Maslow and, and Glasser taught that all of our behaviors are our best attempts to meet one or more of our basic needs. Well, what are these basic needs? Well, Maslow has his, his, his hierarchy, um, and Glasser boiled that down to five basic needs of, of love and belonging, fun, freedom, um, worth and recognition, and later changed to power, and then security. You know, that, that sense of my basic needs are met. Uh, I don't have Maslow's chart right here, but it's very similar to Glass, Glasser's list. And so basically, let's just take from these two psychologists that what we're trying to do, all of our behaviors are best attempt to meet our basic needs because when our basic needs are met, we feel satisfied. I think that we can boil this down to something even simpler. And I think it comes down to three questions. And the three questions I think we are internally asking ourselves is, am I living? Am I loving? And do I matter? I think when we can answer yes to all of those questions, then we are, we're in that space where we feel satisfied. But these are big questions. Did I live? What does that mean? What does it mean to live? Just, I, I really want to pause here just for a moment and give yourself a chance to ask yourself that question. What does living really mean to you? Living to me really means that I'm not, I'm no longer in survival mode. I'm not just functioning in order to continue to survive. Um, so what am I doing? Well, at this point, living to me means that I'm willing to take the good, the bad, and the ugly of everything that's happening around me 
And all of me, all of my gifts, my strengths, my power, and my flaws, I'm taking all of that with what's happening out here, and I'm experiencing it all, and somehow finding a way to to put all of these pieces together so that we can answer that third question of, did I matter? You know, I can look at what's happening around me. I can look at what my gifts are, look at what my flaws are, and how can I contribute? How can I help make things lighter or easier for other people? That's living for me. So I want you to think about what does living mean to you? Um, so if we're answering it as, you know, I'm, I'm beyond surviving, I'm actually taking what's happening and I'm taking what's what me and I'm putting that together to, to in, into a package that matters for other people. Okay. So we've answered one, questions one and three. The question two is, did I love? Am I loved? And I think that that's really the core of all of this, right? I, I think that as human beings, we know that we're wired for connection. Um, but what does that really mean? I think that that is our primary survival need is to feel connected because when we feel disconnected, maybe our bodies keep living, right? Our, our body it keeps functioning, but are we really living at that point? So I think that our, our greatest fear in life is to be shunned from a group or to not even be uh, belong to a group. So ultimately we really want to belong. And so a, it's, am I living? Am I taking responsibility for my life? Um, am I putting something together that adds value to other people? And am I feeling connected? Um, now there doesn't have to be a, my, my value or, or my worthiness of being belonging has nothing to do with whatever I'm creating or, or, um, that, that matter part, right? That's just for me. Belonging is that I belong with the, a tribe of people that accept to me again, fully for all of my flaws, all of my gifts, all of my talents and everything in between. So to be satisfied, I think is to answer these three questions in the affirmative. Am I living? Am I loving? And do I matter? Okay. So now we have these three guiding questions. What do we do with that? Well, I think that we start with, am I living? And what does it mean to be, again, what does it mean to be living? And how can I live differently? Uh, and so we're going to talk uh, about living with an external locus of control versus an internal locus of control. And I'll explain all of that. But I think that um, framework can give us some guidance in terms of giving us feedback on how well am I living, um, how am I seeing the world, and how am I experiencing the world. And that is going to make up the majority of our conversation today. All right, so let's dive into this whole internal and external locus of control. Because um, I th- I hope we can agree that the way we see the world is the way we experience the world. These are two ways that we see the world. These are the big picture of how we see the world. And I'll break this down for us in, in smaller chunks, but let's just take that big picture view for now. So when we are in an external uh, locus of control, we, what that means is that we see things outside of us as, um, creating our experience. So our language really reflects this, right? So so and so has made me so mad, or I'm 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 so happy because uh, this outcome happened, right? I, I I achieved this goal, and so I I feel so happy, or I'm so happy that something great has happened to me, and. And in fact, I mean, part of that is true, right? I mean, it's hard to say, well, that's not true. So let's just say, let's take that off the table. It's not that we don't feel those things when somebody calls us a name or somebody insults us or somebody puts us down. We It does trigger in us certain feelings. When we are being acknowledged and we're being validated and we're being celebrated, that too does create some emotions within us. However, it's not a direct connection, right? It's not uh, a direct connection between the insult and my emotions. There's an intermediate uh, step in here. So there is the insult. Let's play with the painful one. Let's say there's an insult before it gets to my physical trigger. And I'm noticing a trigger. It's going through my unconscious filters of 
what is this person saying about me? What does that mean about me? So let's say um, somebody told me that um, I'm not a good coach, right? Okay, that that's going to hit at my core. Um, and this is a true story, actually. Somebody was telling me that I wasn't good at what I was doing, and they were being very critical of um, of my coaching skills. And at first, it, it went right to the emotional trigger, right? It triggered me. I'm upset. Um, and I'm feeling the pain of that insult. But afterwards, when I, I stepped aside from that conversation and I was able to look back on it, um, you know, an hour or so later, I was like, well, why, why did that upset me so much? Right? Why did he, his opinion of my coaching make me feel so badly? It wasn't what he was saying. It was the meaning that I was given to what he was saying because there was a part of me, this was early in my coach training. So there was a part of me that was saying, God, that might be true, right? And if that is true, then everything else that I want and everything else I'm trying to build, why do it? So that's what hurt. That was the trigger because what he said resonated with a belief that I was still holding on to about myself, which then triggered my emotion. So it wasn't what he said about me is what I believed about myself that triggered that emotion. His actions just pushed that button. His actions just pushed the button. It didn't do anything else. I decided what that button meant. And this is really one of those first experiences where I really had an aha moment. And when I was looking back on this after, after the call, like, why would I let that person's opinion create that feeling within me? I am a good coach. Now, am I a perfect coach at this point? Absolutely not. Am I still a perfect coach? Absolutely not. But I'm really good. I'm really good at what I do. And so when I change the meaning of what he said. And and so now the meaning isn't that I'm not good enough. The meaning I'm giving now is that's probably a projection of his own experience. It probably has nothing to do with me at all. And so when I was then able, this is that shift, right? So from an external, I'm saying his comments, his insults hurt me. I'm flipping this around now and saying, no, 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 no. Um, I don't have to feel bad about this anymore. I'm in, in I'm going to take internal control of this and say his opinion means nothing to me about me. My opinion about me is the most valuable opinion that I I want to come back to. And so as soon, literally as soon as I accepted that truth, that was the truth that I was going to live with. Literally what he says makes no difference to me at all anymore. In fact, I'm grateful that I, that he did push that button so that I could have that experience of that shift between externally putting the responsibility for my feelings on him and then taking responsibility back for my feelings and saying, no, this is um, how I feel. Now, there was also a part of me that said, you know, there are also areas that I know that I need to grow. And so what I was able to do then with that feedback that wasn't specific, wasn't very helpful at all, but I was then able to take that and say, okay, well, that's triggering something in me. There is something in me that still feels like there's areas for me to grow. What are those areas? And now what can I do with that information so that I can grow in those areas as quickly and as efficiently as possible? So that's an example of what it what it looks like and feels like to, to believe that someone else or something else outside of you is responsible for how you're feeling. You know, I, I think that we've heard a lot of stories about um, the pandemic in the last couple of years and how people have um, not only survived the pandemic, but, but how they showed up for the pandemic. And you had those people who were externally controlled um, saying, oh my gosh, you know, I, I can't do my job anymore. I can't see my family anymore. There's all these can'ts. And that is making me feel a certain way. And um, when I feel this certain way, because something outside of me is making me feel this way, now I'm not responsible for that. And I can't do anything about it. And so now I have an excuse to live in this space of, of pain. Um, because, and, and usually we do that because we don't know what else to do with this pain. And that's what this conversation is all about. I want to show you what you can do with that pain so that you can make that shift as I did, uh, from that external things and people outside of you triggering those emotions to you being aware of the meaning that you're given to those experiences or the, the, what people are saying. And that's what's really driving your experiences.
So again, the external control says that I can only be happy when uh, situations and people outside of me meet my expectations. Uh, Glasser tells us that we walk around in our heads um, it, with pictures of our ideal scenarios, what it looks like and feels like to have our needs met. And, and we come up with very, um, sometimes very concrete and very specific ideas. Let's just use an example. I'm going to be happy when my business gets to a million dollars a year in revenue. That's when I'll be happy. Right. And so then we go back, we, we do our business, we engage in our activities and we struggle with some of those activities. We struggle with, um, showing up for those activities consistently and therefore we don't always get the results. And so now again, we're in this cycle of, well, I would get to a million dollars. Um, I'm not happy because I'm not there yet, but I'm also unhappy in this space because Whatever I do is just doesn't matter. It's not working. It's not working for me. I can't make this work. So once again, we're, we're making excuses. We're blaming things outside of ourselves in order to, to, to help us feel better. Again, we, we, we want to have that feeling of living, but at this, when we're functioning from an external, um, perspective, we're really surviving. This is survival mode. So let me describe this for you a little bit. So, you know, you probably know that our unconscious mind is responsible for keeping us safe and comfortable. And throughout our lives, uh, the unconscious mind has been collecting data constantly. Every, every waking and sleeping moment is collecting data on our experiences. What do we like? What do we not like? And it's creating um, beliefs about ourselves based on our experiences. And it's creating strategies based on um, ways that we can avoid pain in the future. So, for instance, if you were um, a, a young child in school and you were presenting something that you were super proud of, and instead of getting um, accolades or congratulations for what a beautiful thing that you created, maybe you got a, oh, that's nice, but it's not as nice as Joey's over here. Um, or that's nice, but, but, you know, you left out this whole piece. Where's that? You know, so there's the acknowledgement, but then there's also the criticism. And, and especially when we're very young, we don't know what to do with that criticism. Uh, we don't have the language. We don't have the context. Uh, to say, well, it doesn't matter that I left this piece out or I left that piece out on purpose and, and I can justify that, right? We're too young to, to stand up for ourselves in that way. So when we're in that vulnerable state, then what we tend to do is we make dis conclusions about ourselves like, oh, I must not be very good at this. Um, I probably shouldn't be doing this anymore because to do this, to, to create this, um, brings pain. And so I don't like pain anymore. So I just won't do it. Um, so that, that's kind of the root of, of, of public speaking fears in many cases is as a young child, we stood up and, and we wanted to do a presentation or we were going to sing a song or something and we messed up and maybe somebody laughed at us. Um, or again, we just didn't get the acknowledgement and validation that we, we hope to get. And so we create this belief about ourselves. Well, I'm not very good at this. Um, and that, that pain of being laughed at or that pain of not being acknowledged and validated is, is so much that I'm going to avoid that by never speaking in public again. And that's how we end up living our entire lives then is from this very defensive stance. So when I'm in an external locus of control, I literally see everything and everyone around me as a threat. Now, some people I let closer to me because I, I trust them a little bit more. But really, when I'm at these levels, I'm not genuinely connecting with anyone. I'm connecting with people that I think can help me um, along the way, right? Uh, maybe I need people, and so I'll, I'll be in relationship with those people as much as necessary so that if I need them, I can call on them. But this is a relationship of convenience. It's not one of real genuine connection. And, and this, we're all living in this, this state of pain when we're living in this external control. Uh, think about, um, we're going to talk about levels here in just a minute, but just the image of a whack-a-mole, right? So if we're all being defensive, that means that I'm, I'm either pushing you back or pushing you down so that I can feel up or I can feel safe. And so I, I get this image that we're all in each other's whack-a-mole games. Other people are banging on me to keep me down so that they can feel up, and I'm banging on other people to keep them down so that I can feel up. 
And I think that just really um, kind of summarizes really where we've even been as a, uh, as a country for the past, I don't know, five or six years, because there's, uh, so many of our leaders in all sectors from business to politics to religions, many of them have presented themselves as they build up their power by pushing other groups down. And when we are also in that state and we see someone who is, um, gathering that power and exuding that power uh, over others, we love it because that's what we want for ourselves. And so we're going to live vicariously. I'm going to support this person. I'm going to back this person because they are standing up. And that's what I really want to be able to do is I really want to stand up. I can't really stand up, but I can support this person who is, right? So those those are the things that are going on in the back of our mind when we live in this um, externally controlled world. Um, this shows up in families, in codependent kinds of relationships, where there's the, the victim, where there's the persecutor, and where there's the rescuer. The victim is the one at the, the lowest, low man on the totem pole, and, and we know that the persecutor, we know what they're doing. They're definitely playing whack-a-mole. They're keeping that person down. But where's the rescuer coming in? Well, I think the rescuer, although they are, um, their whack-a-mole is, is, prettier, um, maybe flowerier, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to give to you with an expectation that at some point this is going to come back to me, right? There's an expectation. So I'm putting you in debt to me by rescuing you. That's the a summary of the um, codependent triangle. So here we are again. All of our behaviors are, are not as overt. Um, as, you know, we might think of intimidation or manipulation, right? It doesn't just happen out in the open. We, we know again, belonging is one of our needs. And so we're, we're choosing our behaviors carefully so that we can find that right combination of keeping other people down, um, while we lift ourselves up, but we're doing this in a way that other people can get behind us and support us. So again, I think that if you look at just what's been happening in our own uh, communities and culture over the last several years, I think you'll see lots and lots of examples of this external control. My um, coaching program was IPEC, the um, Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, and they have a, a similar outline that I'm going to share with you today, and they've created an assessment around that. And what they have found after, you know, tens of thousands of people taking this assessment is that most of us live in the space of external control where we're trying to dominate others so that we have the sense of being uplifted. That, to me, going back to that question now again of, am I living? Well, if I'm living in this world of external control, I am just surviving. Right. I'm doing everything I can to stay ahead of the game. I'm doing everything I can to control all of these variables around me. And I'm absolutely wearing myself out in the process. But it's all to, you know, feel like I'm, I'm getting my needs met, that I, that I am belonging, that I have that sense of, of competence and contribution. That's what I want. But I end up spending so much of my time really just defending myself against uh, these perceived threats that are happening outside of me. So let's contrast that then with what is an internal locus of control? Well, the, the, the step between external locus of control and the internal locus of control is this uh, space where we acknowledge that what we're doing, uh, all of the strategies we're using to um, in that external locus of control isn't working for us anymore. We, and we can't deny it anymore. We can't say, well, it's somebody else. Somebody else has to change in order for me to be happy or healthy or safe. When we get to that space of, of responsibility, that's when we just really look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I don't know how I get out of this. I don't know how I start living, but I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Now, for me, that really came when my psoriasis flared up and um, my entire face uh, and, and arms and skin was really like a sunburn from the inside out. Uh, so I was in a great deal of pain. Um, my face, everything was, was completely inflamed and red and peeling. Um, it, it, so I couldn't leave the house. And it was just this really sense of depression. And it was 
at that point where literally I thought maybe I would be in the house for the rest of my life where I said, I have got to do something about this. I can't keep living like this because I don't want to live in the house for the rest of my life. That's not who I want to be. And so we move into the state of taking responsibility and it's a, a, a stage of learning, right? We've got to unlearn all of the habits and routines that we have been taught and, um, that we've grown up with in order to now assume responsibility, uh, for ourselves and for our, our experiences and for the outcomes that we get. And when we are in this stage of practicing and learning how to take responsibility, we kind of feel like we're all over the place. And we, and honestly, we really are all over the place. So there will be days, there will be moments where I feel like, okay, I can really take responsibility for this. I can, I can um, acknowledge um, how I'm feeling about this. I can take responsibilities for my behaviors and the results that I get. And if I don't like them, then I can go back and I can do something different. So that's really what we start doing, right? We start saying, okay, what I'm doing is not getting me the results I want. So let's go back and, and do something else. That is what we were doing in the external locus of control, right? If what I'm, I'm not getting the results I want, I'm going to go back and do what I've been doing before. I'm just going to do it more often or less often. I'm going to do it more intensely or less intensely. We're going to do it for a longer period of time or a shorter period of time. Those are really the only variables that we have to work with when we don't want to change what we're doing. Um, and so that's where we get minimum change and, and minimum results there. So again, when I'm taking responsibility, I'm saying, okay, well, it's not just what I'm doing that's creating my outcomes. There must be something else. And there is something else. The something else is what happens between the outside stimulus, in my case with the coach, my, co- my coaching coach, uh, and my, tr- my emotional trigger, right? So as I described before, there's an external stimulus and then we immediately, our unconscious minds immediately make that mean something about us. It goes through all of our catalogs of all of our experiences and comes out with, here's what that means about you. And then that meaning is what triggers our emotions. And so when we are in this stage of being willing to take responsibility for ourselves, we're not just looking at what we're doing and what results we're getting. We're going to look behind the curtain and look at what meaning am I giving to these experiences that I'm having? And what are, what's the emotional trigger that's coming up for me? This is also the stage where, um, we, we really begin to learn to, to build a relationship with ourselves. As I mentioned with, in the external locus of control, our, our relationships are very superficial because we're very defensive. And that includes ourselves. We're defensive with ourselves because we build up all of these walls around our heart and around our being so that we can't get hurt. And then individuals at that, at that external level can start to, to be numb. Like I don't even know what I'm feeling anymore. I don't even know what I want anymore because we've put that so far uh, we've tucked that so far away so that it wouldn't trigger the pain that comes with that. And so again, at this level of taking responsibility, this is when we're really to, ready and willing to look at that pain. And for me, it was also willing to look at the pain that I was holding on to that was holding me in this defensive state. Was I willing, I, I got some help with this, um, some hypnotherapy help. And when I worked with this a hypnotherapist, I uncovered a whole load of unresolved grief that I had from my childhood, from um, being adopted at birth. Like there, there was grief there that was unacknowledged my entire life. And once I was willing to, to acknowledge that grief and to experience that grief in a safe space where I had support, that it just came at me wave after wave after wave. And, and when the waves subsided and, and slowed down and eventually stopped, and I'm coming out of that hypnosis um, experience, I literally felt like everything in my body was was reorganizing. It was changing because I was no longer having to hold on to and, and keep that grief unacknowledged and tucked away. It was out there. It was um, experienced. I, I had to experience that because once you experience it and you let go of that energy, all of the beliefs that I created about myself um, can also go. And and once I the, those beliefs go, then all of my strategies um, also have a chance to go. 
So at the stage of taking responsibility, this is where, again, we are, we're, we're willing to look behind the curtain. What is the story that I'm telling myself? Um, and what is the emotion that that's triggering? And that, those messages, what am I telling myself and what is that feeling can take us right back to whatever that unresolved pain is. And when we can go into that pain with support, we can let that go and then move in. Then there's less need for defense. And when I have less need for defense, then I can move into this internal locus of control way of, of viewing and, and experiencing the world around me. So within this stage of taking responsibility, it's really important that we also, we see this as I'm, I'm willing to build a relationship with myself. I'm willing to get to know myself. I'm willing to get to know all the pains and hurts that I'm holding on to so that now I can experience those, feel those and let those go. Um, and the more that I do that, then the less defensive I need to be because I'm changing the beliefs that I've had about myself and I'm changing those strategies that I've used to keep myself protected. Um, I'm willing to open up now. At this stage is, is as we're building that relationship with ourselves, this is where self-compassion is an absolute necessity. Because when you really start to listen to that voice in your head and what it's telling you, you might be really shocked at how hard you are on yourself. We are our own worst critics. And when you start to really listen to the way that you talk to yourself, you got to see that part of yourself as a wounded part of yourself, not as the external critic that it sounds like. That is just a wounded part of yourself that needs to be acknowledged, needs to be loved so that it can be let go. And again, as we let go of that, then we, um, we open ourselves up. We free ourselves from the need for, for, um, defensiveness on all the time. And when, uh, we no longer need to be in a defensive state all the time, now our nervous system can also calm down because when we're in that external control where we are in that perceived state of threat all the time, our nervous system is, is on high alert all the time. And it wasn't designed to be on high alert all the time. It's designed to be on high alert when it needs to be. And then it's designed to, to really find balance again as quickly as possible. But when we keep telling ourselves we're in this state where we have to be, uh, uh, protect ourselves, then we never really let our nervous system totally relax. And so when we're moving again into the state of, of responsibility, this is also where we bring in self-care. Um, as we're building relationships with ourselves, we're starting to hear what we're really saying to ourselves. We're willing to love those parts of ourselves that are really hurting. And we need to then take care of those parts of ourselves. Um, this is where we start doing things for ourselves. We give ourselves time, we give ourselves space to, to nurture ourselves and, and to care for and love ourselves, just like we would with anyone else. Like if I'm in a relationship with someone, um, especially when that relationship is new, right? We're willing to go above and beyond to connect with and, um, soothe and accept the, the other party. And so that's what we're, we're being asked to do or the opportunity that we have to do in this stage of taking responsibility. And then once we take responsibility for that, we have this internal relationship with ourselves where we're able to accept ourselves. Then we're ready to move into the internal locus of control um, stages. And, um, and, and basically what that means is that regardless of what's happening around me, I know that I can always find that internal state of peace, that internal state of happiness. It's always available within me always. And, and that's when I, when something happens out in the world and I feel triggered because we still will be, we will still be triggered, uh, regardless of where we are internal or external. But when I'm at an internal locus of control, I'm going to notice that I'm going to notice like, Oh my gosh, I really felt triggered when, and so and so said that to me, what am I making that mean about me? Right. So now I'm not saying, oh, that bastard, <laughs> how dare he say something like that to me. Right now I'm saying, no, what did I make that mean about me? And is that true? And what emotions are coming up for me? And, you know, maybe I need to give myself a moment just to feel that pain of of that emotion um, and, and letting go can really be that easy. And so we're at this internal locus of control now. We, we still get triggered. We still feel things. But again, we don't get caught up in our own story. We don't start buying that story that that inner critic is telling us. We, we know that we're separate from that. 
And I think that's another uh, really key point to all of this. That voice in your head is not you. That is your ego speaking. And your ego's job is to keep you safe and comfortable. So it's not something or someone that you need to shove away. Bring that part of you closer. Bring them closer by listening, by accepting, by validating, and then releasing the emotions that um, are painful for that. So who is that? Well, who you really are is the one who is observing this inner chatter. It is not you. It is that, it's that part of you that, that's keeping you safe. And, and for me, it's really helped to, to separate myself from that inner chatter from my true self, my soul. And so now I see my soul is the one who's observing and recognizing, oh, that hurt or, oh, that felt good. And, when something feels good, okay, so we're getting, let's say we're getting the acknowledgement or the um, congratulations that, that, that feel good. We also know that as much as we appreciate that from external sources, we know that internally we have access to that all of the time. And so we appreciate it when we get it from outside of ourselves, but we also know that um, we don't have to rely on other people to validate us, to congratulate us in order for us to feel good about ourselves. So I hope this explanation of external locus of control, that stage of taking responsibility, of taking, um, of building a relationship with yourself and bringing grace and compassion to yourself, self-care to yourself so that you can create that space where it's safe for you to experience all those painful emotions that you are avoiding um, in the external locus of control stages. Um, and then moving into these internal locus of control where now you're really opened up. Now you really have an opportunity to expand and to uh, come back to, did, did I, did I matter? This is where we really feel, um, how we can contribute. And, and we do contribute at that point because we're not guarding ourselves anymore. We don't, we don't perceive threats anymore. Um, at least not in the same way. And so this is, this is also that living. This is where we take everything that's happening outside of us. We take the good, the bad, and the ugly. We take all of our flaws, all of our gifts, and all our talents, and we're making something out of that now that that is good for other people. And we're connected to other people. So our relationships at this level are much richer because, again, we're not defending ourselves. We're, we are, we feel safe and comfortable enough within ourselves that we can take risks with other people. And, and if people are willing to be and move into this space with us, we welcome them. And if they're not, if they're still in that external locus of control and, and kind of feeling like they're, they're still whack-a-moleing me, then I can, from that state, I can recognize that and appreciate that that's just who they are and that's where they are. I don't have to take that personally, right? So their behaviors don't mean anything about me. And I think, again, that's when we're living and that's when we're living freely is when we're free from the expectations or or free from perceived threats all around us. We have richer uh, relationships at these levels and um, we matter because we can see now how to take everything, everything we've ever experienced and create something good out of it. Okay. We've presented ourselves those three questions, those three guiding questions. Am I living? Am I loving? Do I matter? Those are the questions that we want to be able to answer in the affirmative to feel happy and satisfied. Um, we've also talked about um, how our view of the world dictates and creates our experience in the world. And so we compared and we talked about external locus of control and, and how that is a very defensive state. We talked about that inner um, that middle state of taking responsibility of, of creating a relationship within ourselves. Um, and once we can, we have that satisfactory relationship with ourselves, we're less defensive, we see less threats, and we move into that internal locus of control state. So what I want to do now is just break those, those ex external um, stages. There's a couple of stages within there. And I think that by breaking them down a little bit kind of helps us zero in even a little bit more than the big picture of external control. And then, um, there's that state of, of level three, which is that responsibility and, and relationship with self. And then there are, uh, levels four, five, and six and the internal locus of control. So let's start with the two levels that are in the external locus of control. The lowest level here, and, and lowest doesn't mean bad. Let me let me just also say this too, that um, when you're at one of these lower levels, 
Lower just means lower energy. You may not be aware that higher um, levels of energy exist, right? It just is, it's outside of your uh, perception. You may not be aware of it. So part of my, my goal in um, sharing this with you is that regardless of where you are on this continuum, you see the full continuum. Because once you move up into these um, other upper levels, even in the internal locus of control, as I said before, you're still going to get triggered. And if, if the trigger is big enough, let's, let's say there's a tragedy in your life and there's a major loss, you may come all the way down to this lower level, which is really about withdrawing because that's what you need. Okay. So every stage is necessary and there's, there's a, a point to, there's advantages to every one of these stages. I want you to be able to listen to this with an open mind and not just judge yourself and say, Oh, I had, this is bad and I don't want to be there. Just it is what it is. Nothing's bad. It's, it's not good. I would say one feels better than another, but they're all necessary and they're all purposeful. Um, the other thing that I want to say here too is that I, I've already talked, uh, created a lot of content and there's a lot of words. Um, and what we're going to talk about next is more, even more words and kind of now in a framework and in a structure. So in the description, there's going to be a link to a visual guide to the content that we are covering today. And it's my hope that that visual guide will help you take what you're hearing and uh, organize it in such a way that it makes sense to you. So check the descriptions uh, of, for this particular episode and uh, get yourself a copy of that graphic organizer so it's easier for you to um, organize this information so that it makes sense. So let's start with level one. And I'm going to go to my guide here too. Now, level one, again, is all about that uh, protection is very um, ego-driven, defensive, it's fear-based. Um, at our range of perception at this level, what we're aware of is very narrow. And that's a, that's a part of our defense mechanism, right? So when we are in a state of stress, our perception very both literally and figuratively narrows in so that we are able to just focus on the perceived threat and not waste energies with extraneous um, distractions. And so we have this very narrow view of the world. And, but we don't know that, right? We don't know that this view is narrow. We think that this is the whole world. And that's part of our, our frustration is we can't find our solutions in this very narrow um, view of the world. Now, the emotions at level one, then, um, think of this as really being an, in a victim state. Uh, at this point, you just, you feel like no matter what you do, it's not going to make a difference. Uh, this is learned helplessness, right? So throughout our lives, you know, if, if we've made attempt after attempt after attempt to get our needs met and those needs were, those efforts were not effective, we quite literally, our unconscious mind quite literally says, well, I'm not even going to try to do this anymore. I'm not even going to try to um, get my needs met. I'm just going to survive here. And I, I think, this is my personal opinion, like that's when we die, we're, we're still living, but we really have stopped, our bodies are functioning, but I think we've stopped living. Uh, again, going to that first question. So some of the emotions that are really common at this level is um, that feeling of shame, of guilt, of feeling empty. There's a lot of grief or regret at this stage. Um, despair, fear, and anxiety. These are all spinning around uh, within our, our experience. And that's, you know, we don't know how to stop that spinning. The worldview at these levels is just, I can't. Um, I'm, I can't because I'm flawed or I'm not good enough. Um, I'm too worthless. I'm too insignificant. Uh, we believe that there's no hope for change. Um, we believe that we're unforgivable. We believe that we don't matter. Uh, we believe I'll never get through this. Again, there's uh, that learned helplessness that there's no point of even trying because it's not going to be successful. Now, when we are at level two, then let's call that the, um, the, the fighter. So we had the victim. Uh, at level one with the learned toplessness. And at some point, something happened where hopefully we, we were able to get a little bit of energy, right? So at that level one, I think one of our biggest challenges is, um, inertia, right? So we stop moving, we stop growing. And it's the hardest thing to do is then to get going again. But what can get us going is being angry. 
right? So now instead of taking on these perceived threats as, as evidence that I'm not good enough or I'm flawed or I'm, I'm a horrible person, now I'm going to fight back against that. I'm not going to accept that. And uh, so that's where we now prop ourselves up and we prop ourselves up by pushing other people down. I'm not going to let somebody else push me down. I'm going to be the one who pushes other people down. At this level, there's there's emotions of desire and jealousy, a lot of anger, hate, resentment, um, a lot of, of pride, and a really big sense of entitlement, right? Because that sense of entitlement justifies me squashing other people down so that I can feel up. There's this core view that there's not enough in the world, right? And so if there's not enough in the world, I have to go get mine. And I'm competing against you, which is another reason why I have to keep you down, because I'm competing against you for resources. And that's, again, how I I justify it. We're driven to survive. And so the survival of the fittest, isn't it interesting how much language we have around supporting these, these concepts? A big thing that happens at this level of the fighter is that the belief is that I'm right, you're wrong. And this shows up in really subtle ways, it, obviously the direct ways, but it can also happen in subtle ways. And, and one subtle way that this happens a lot is that we make other people wrong. Um, well, how do we do that? Well, one way that we make other people wrong is that we one-up them in conversations. So um, if summoning is, let's say you, you want to tell me a story about a hike that you just took. If I'm at level two, you may not even introduce your story. And maybe you just get to the point of, I went on this hike. My mind has said, okay, I want to be um, the dominant person in this conversation. I know something about hiking. And so I'm going to cut you off and I'm going to start telling you my story about hiking. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not can I ask you any questions? Because it's not about you, it's about me. And so now I've dominated, I've hijacked this conversation to make it about me. That's one way, a uh, really subtle way that we function at level two. Um, another way that we make people wrong is by disagreeing even when we agree. So here's a, a simple example of that. So let's say you are admiring the sky and it's, and you say something like, Oh my gosh, the sky is just such a beautiful shade of blue today. Now, if I'm at level two, I might say, well, you know, it's not as blue as it was yesterday. You should have seen it yesterday because yesterday it was an amazing color blue, right? So once again, I've hijacked it. It's not, you're not right. You, this shade of blue is not that great because what I saw yesterday was better. Another that way that we might do that in a scenario like this is um, I'm going to use facts to prove that you're wrong, um, such as, well, you know, the sky's not even blue at all because it's actually a reflection of the light going through the atmosphere, yada, 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 right? So I'm using facts. I'm using science in this case to prove that your assessment that the sky is such a beautiful shade of blue is false. It has nothing to do with, it's your opinion. It's a beautiful shade of blue. Um, but if I'm at level two, I can even see that as a threat. Again, uh, both for the victim and for the fighter, uh, there is this sense, uh, there, there's always chronic stress because our bodies are always in the state of chronic stress. Um, and when we are in a state of chronic stress, then uh, our bodies eventually wear out. Again, they were not designed to be at that state often. Why might you be at this level? Well, you may have experienced some significant trauma or loss at some point in your, um, especially in your early life or even in your adult life, if you had a less than optimal childhood, right? So in childhood, if you didn't have the opportunity to really establish some solid grounding in who you are and felt safe, completely safe within your family, um, safe to take risks and to explore and to make mistakes, if that wasn't in place and then later you experienced some sort of trauma um, going into the military, for instance, right? Why, why do a lot of why do some people come back with post-traumatic stress and others don't? Well, I think it's because of how, how secure were they going into uh, the experience? And maybe you directly experience some trauma. And whenever we experience trauma, in my mind, trauma really is just any kind of situation where we didn't feel like we had the resources to keep ourselves safe or comfortable in the moment. We felt incredibly weak. We felt incredibly vulnerable. And so we create beliefs about ourselves that align with 
feeling weak and vulnerable. And then we create uh, behavior strategies uh, to avoid feeling weak and vulnerable in the future. So you may have experienced trauma, but I think all largely this is comes from our, our caregivers when we were kids, because what we're doing is we're learning, we're picking up from our caregivers are a lot of our core beliefs about who we are, what our value is, how lovable we are, how valuable we are. And once again, if we didn't have caregivers that really were able and ready to tune into us and, and help us find that ground, then we, we may not have gotten the support that we needed to, to create that health, healthy sense of self. So then we get into level three, which I've already spent a good deal of time talking about. Again, building that relationship with yourself, bringing in compassion, bringing in self-forgiveness, being willing to look at all of the pain that you've been avoiding at levels one and two. So um, this this level is really all about me. And, and sometimes I think we push ourselves out of level three and back into level two when we have that story of, well, to take care of myself is, is selfish. And and I would just go back to, you know, the, the airline metaphor. Put your oxygen mask on first. You are no good, no help to anyone else. If you're not really alive to begin with, um, give yourself some oxygen. Put some life back into you. And then once you are back to life, then you can move into these internal locus of control stages and really contribute and give to others from a place of value, not from a place of trying to prove your worthiness. So once we get past level three and now we're into level four, this is where we start talking about we. So at level three, it was about me. At level four, it's about we. How can, I'm not going to sacrifice myself, but I'm also looking, how can I lift you up? So at level two, I was, how can I lift you down? Level four is how can I lift you up as I lift myself up? It's not an either or at that point. And so some of the emotions that we experience at level four is the sense of, of acceptance or contentment. We know that we have internal flaws because we've examined those. We've come to, uh, we're, we're comfortable now looking at those and, and being with those. And when we can look at our own flaws and let go of judgment for ourselves, we're able to let go of judgment for other people. And, and sometimes just letting go of our judgment is enough to lift other people. We also tend to feel more of a sense of patience and empathy and humility at this level. It's that we, I'm, I'm not superior to you. We, it is a we. I, I don't quite see myself as you yet. I'm still separated from you, but we're, we're coming together. The worldview at uh, this level is that there's this balanced sense of self-confidence and self-image, right? I don't have to make myself smaller um, and I don't have to make myself bigger uh, in comparison to you. I have positive expectations at level four um, because I believe that anything that happens can be fixed or corrected. And so this is really where it's okay to take risks um, because failure's really not an option. Uh, it's just information. And so if I'm not getting the results that I want, then that's just information that I can use um, either to change what I'm doing or to change how I even see this whole situation. So um, there's just the sense that I'm okay. There's, there's no failure. You know, and at this stage, when we hurt others, we, we know that we're hurting ourselves. And so I would never hurt at the, at anyone at this level would never hurt anyone else because they know that if, if they're hurting someone else, that, that is really just a reflection of hurting themselves. Like, so if I judge others, I know that that's really just a projection of myself judging myself. Um, but that, pa- that pain of judgment is too harsh, right? This is a level. This is the external levels. Um, what I'd rather do is, is direct that pain back onto you so I don't have to feel it. Um, and at level four, you know, all things happen at the right time. Um, physiology, you know, we're starting to recognize both physical and emotional symptoms of stress. Uh, we're aware of that. We are also aware of and we use strategies to intentionally bring our nervous system back into a state of balance. We, again, we, we've, we're taking responsibility for that. We're not just hoping that things outside of us change enough that we'll feel better. We take responsibility for our stress response and engage in breathing or meditation or, or walking in nature or whatever our strategy is to bring our nervous system back into a state of balance. And so once we get um, past that we, then we, we go into what I, I just call, um, you know, this, a spirit led 
stage. And in some cases, others might break this out, but I, I really don't see the, the need. I think we've gone from me to we, and now we go to all of us. And when we are in a state of all of us, again, we're just building on that openness that we had with ourselves, with, with others, and now with everyone. And so the emotions at this level are really a sense of love and, and reverence. There's a sense of joy and serenity. Um, there's passion and peace at, at these upper levels, at this upper level. So the worldview at the, this upper level is, is a wisdom. I see things through the lens of wisdom and, and, and what wisdom is able to do is to see the perfection in all things. Um, we're non-judgmental at this level. We know that we all deserve and we all have access to this inner peace. And so again, even though things outside of me may not align with my internal pictures, as Glasser would say, and I feel triggered, I recognize that the trigger came internally. It wasn't external. And so now I have an opportunity to examine what was that trigger? What did they make that mean about me? And I can do something with that. Physiology at this level, you know, we're Usually our default is to be in a state of relaxation. This is really where our nervous system gets to function as it was intended to function. Normally, we go about feeling very balanced, very strong. Um, and when something happens that knocks us off our feet for a minute, we are able to shake it off and move on. So the behaviors at, at this uh, is just everything is driven from a sense of generosity, from a sense of compassion from curiosity, right? And so when we're judging, we're not curious, but when we're able to let go of judging, now we're able to move into curiosity because again, nothing's wrong, nothing's bad. Where where are the gems in here? We lead through the, the heart um, and the head, but primarily through the heart. Leaders at um, the lo- at either the external uh, locus of control or even at that stage uh, three and four, um, as well as stage three, that's really in the head. When we move into stage four, as we're moving into that internal locus of control, we're willing to, to acknowledge, I don't have to justify everything with logic. Really what is connecting with, with others is through the heart and through emotions. Because we're at this internal locus of control, it's safe for us to lead through emotions. We're not afraid of those anymore. And we don't feel like we have to protect ourselves from them. You'll know that you are at this higher level when you just feel this this persistent sense of strong connectedness. Um, you might look outside of yourself and say, wow, things are still falling apart. But you know what? Somehow, some way, I still feel good. I still feel grounded. I still feel centered. Now, what I see out here isn't what I want to see. And that gives me an opportunity. What are my gifts? What are my talents? How can I contribute? How can I help? You know, we're always learning and again, ready and able to use that energy and redirect energy that in the past we would have directed towards defensiveness. Now we can use that energy to keep ourselves open and see what those options and possibilities are that are now presenting themselves. What is going to keep us from uh, progressing in that way is like what would pull us back out of that is again, if we, we get triggered and we forget that our experience is based on our own story and the meaning that we're making it. Uh, you know, we start to, we buy in again to something outside of me has happened and I, it makes me feel this way. Um, when we get to that point and you've been in an internal locus of control for so long, again, that, that will happen, very likely will happen, but you're going to bounce back from that very quickly. Here we are. Let's, let's come back then to this, these three questions. Am I living? Am I loving? And do I matter? We can, when we're living from that in external lo- locus of control, we're not really living, we're just surviving because our, we're really just spending all of our energies to protect ourselves. Um, and when we're using all of our energies to protect ourselves, we can't turn those, uh, we can't use that energies for creation and um, for creativity. And then in the middle, you know, we want to uh, belong. We, we want to know that we are loved, we are seen, that we are heard, and we want to do that for other people. So this is really just the beginning of this conversation about how do we, how do we satisfactorily answer these questions? Am I living? Am I loving? And um, do I matter? We are just at the beginning of these conversations. And like I said, at the beginning of this or in the middle of this conversation, there was a lot here today. So what I hope that you will do is um, 
send me an email, mary at mmgcoaching.com. Let me know what you, you think about this or leave comments um, on the platform that you are listening to this. Uh, we'll get those comments and, and uh, we'll engage because I want this to be a two-way conversation. There must be a bazillion questions that you have based on what, what you heard today. And, you know, I'm not operating from a script here. So I may have said something at one point in the conversation that made you sound different in another point in the conversation. I want you to, to ask me those questions. Call me out on that. Clarify that for me because I really want to be clear about this content because for me, I, I, what I really believe is that, um, our way of answering this question satisfactorily is moving out of those external locus of control um, levels of being and moving into the internal locus of control levels of being. And, you know, that's how we answer that question. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be the person that that is defensive all the time? Or do you want to be the person that dwells in possibility and in creativity? So my heartfelt Gratitude to you for listening to this and sticking with me through this conversation. Um, like I said, please engage with me, Mary at mmgcoaching.com. Check out the um, visual guide that we've created for this episode and let me know what's working for you and what's not working for you. And until next time, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed, or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes, but most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.